In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Here's a boy who feels very bad about his story. His dad asked him to get up off the couch and go to work, which really isn't a strange request, especially if you grew up in a family with a family business. The grapes are ripe, go now. The bills are due, go now. The customers are at the door, go now. But the boy disobeyed. He simply refused to go. In our world, that is fairly normal behavior between fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, teachers and kids, bosses and bossed, cops and robbers. It is so normal that the older I get, the more I realize there is only one sin. There is only one sin. Almost nobody can do what they are told. In the gospel for today, Jesus calls that our problem with authority. Good news, though. After he sassed his dad, Jesus says that the boy felt horrible. In verse 29, later he changed, can literally be translated as Later he felt miserable. And where there is misery, there can be hope. Whether by now you have come to realize it or not, there has been a method in the madness of talking about our stories these past few months. Over and over again, we've simply said that we are the boy in the story. That if we went around the room and we were honest and we told our stories, they would be stories about being lonely and unloved and broken and hurting. And now this morning you can add to that disobeying and feeling miserable because we disobeyed. We've been talking about our story so that you will be more willing to listen when Jesus tells his story, which is anything but miserable. And he is here telling it again today. Within the year, we will be in a new space, a space that is a lot bigger, and so we will have the chance to grow. In that, you should hear this. The space is a lot bigger, so we will have the chance to help more folks who feel miserable about themselves and their story. But as I drive by churches, I think how hard it must be for anybody who has a bad story to walk inside, especially if they have never been to church before. Very few of you, I suspect, would feel comfortable going into a synagogue or a mosque or a Hindu temple. But you might go if somebody could tell you an inviting story, a story that was bigger than you and your troubles and your misery, a story that would make you less miserable today and give you a hope for tomorrow. So what we've been trying to do these past few months is give you a story to tell. Not your story, 
because you and your story are not big enough or strong enough. Your empathy is good as far as it goes, but it is not enough to keep folks from being miserable. But the Jesus story can. Jesus' story is actually big enough to forgive and to save and to change and to bless. And so for these past few months, what we've been trying to do is teach you to tell that story in very, very simple words. For example, earlier this summer, we heard how easily Jesus forgives when we met that woman who was caught in adultery. Her friends and her neighbors were so unnerved and disgraced and inexperienced with pastoral care that when she's caught in a tough spot, all they can think to do is kill her. But Jesus comes round and he finds another way out for her. It is the way of mercy. He gathers her near, he accepts her, he protects her. And then he speaks quite clearly and quite directly to her. Does anybody condemn you? No. Your friends? No. Yourself? No. Me? No. Well, then you can just go home and be free. And stay away from your old sins and live a life that is beautiful. That is a very good and simple story to tell people who feel miserable about their own sins and about their own lives. Later in the summer, we got some step-by-step instructions from Jesus about how to keep the party going here inside the church. If somebody sins against you, Jesus says, you go see them face to face. But before you go, make sure that it is a sin and not just a question of taste or personality or strategy. And make sure it rises above the normal irritations of everyday life, above somebody who is just having a bad day. Make sure that what you are talking about actually breaks one of the Ten Commandments and not just one of your own pietisms. And then if it does, go see the person who hurt you. Go directly, go all alone, and go before you talk to anyone else. Don't go to get even, says Jesus. Go to be reconciled, to have your brother or your sister back. And remember that it works the other way round, too. If a brother or a sister arrives on your doorstep to show you a sin and have you back, welcome them in and get it done. That is a very good and simple way for Christians to deal with each other when we rub each other wrong in the church. It's a good way to end feelings of remorse and bitterness and sadness and to live together in beauty. Those are good Jesus stories. After all these months, you can begin to remember those, can't you? And begin to tell them and begin to use them. And as you do, I suppose you notice 
that the word that Jesus uses to describe all of this is change. Even though I retranslated the words at the beginning of my sermon, the text before you is not wrong. Twice, in verse 29 and again in verse 32, Jesus starts and stops by talking about change. In verse 29, later he felt miserable, also does mean later he changed. There's probably nothing people talk about more right now than change. It doesn't seem to matter if you're talking about politics or education or history or the election or the economy or technology or leadership. Change. Resisting change, managing change, initiating change, surviving change. Change seems to be the topic of the day. But in some ways, the conversation about change is misguided. One of the best things I've learned in the last five years, I learned from one of you over breakfast. It came almost as a throwaway comment, but it is profound. People don't hate change. Despite what everybody says, people don't hate change. What people hate is loss. For example, let's say as you go out today, I give every one of you, man, woman, and child, a million dollars at the door. Not 50 million, that would ruin you. Your relatives would stalk you, and you'd be worried that the next-door neighbors would kidnap your kids and hold them for ransom. And not $10,000, that's not enough to make a change. Most of you have credit card balances bigger than that. But a million dollars would be enough to pay your bills and buy a new car and send your kid to college and put a new floor in your kitchen and take a cruise. That would be a big change, but you wouldn't hate it because it would not be a big loss. It's change, but it's also hope, it's gain. And it helps you lose the feeling of misery. That is the sort of change that Jesus is offering in the gospel for today. It's a big change, but it's not a loss. It's a hope. It's a gain. It erases your misery. So why don't folks change? We're back where we started. Why don't folks change? Trust. By what authority do you do this? Verse 23. Really means, why should we trust you and change. How do we know that you are who you say you are? How do we know that you will really deliver the goods? How do we know that this change doesn't mean loss? And all Jesus can do is shrug his shoulders and say, you can't follow me and hate change. You can't be a Christian and hate change. Jesus says Luther got it right in the first of the 95 Theses. Actually, he didn't say that. But Luther was right in the first of the 95 Theses, which says, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ says repent, the biblical word is change, he called for the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. That is, for all of you to be in constant change. So it turns out that Jesus is a very clever storyteller. When Jesus tells the story of a boy who is just like us, 
a boy who can't do what he is told, a boy who just won't obey, a boy who always struggles with authority, a boy who just can't trust, a boy who just won't believe, a boy who just won't change. When Jesus tells that story about a boy, he is telling that story about us. And then in a single sentence, Jesus offers up the cure. The boy changed, and he went to work, and he stopped feeling miserable, and all was well. So it's not about the boy and his story. It's not that he suddenly got smart, or he suddenly figured it out, or he suddenly found himself, or he suddenly made a wise choice. His father had already given him the change. No, it's all about Jesus and his story, all about trading his story for your story, all about following, all about changing, all about obeying, all about welcoming divine authority as gift, all about understanding that following and changing and obeying, that those things are the gracious way home to Eden, to joy and to community and to love and to beauty. That is what Jesus wants. And he tells you these stories because he wants you all to want it too. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. amen.